Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza, and on this episode of the Your Life, Your Term show, I sit down with Paul DeBruzzo and Andrew Palhidis to talk about Turks and Caicos and Airbnb. We're getting so many Canadians thinking about buying in the Caribbean or down south somewhere, and they have questions around Airbnb, how you do it, what's the banking like, how do you manage bank accounts and cash flow, what are some of the expenses to consider, how do you manage it all. That's what we get into on this particular episode. Paul and Andrew have now multiple villas in Turks and Caicos. They've been through it all. They're doing kind of amazing things down there and they've been doing it for years so they have a lot of experience at this point i also asked them about just family and how they're managing their real estate careers um, these guys have been going at it now for over a decade and they've built up their own real estate portfolio portfolios quite nicely and now are doing you know land development a whole bunch of other things so we get their input on those topics as well on this particular episode and if you are listening to this and you want to dive into the world of real estate investing but you're not sure where to start you can get a free digital copy of one of our books by visiting rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash books so that's rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash books and if you want to read stories of other canadian investors who have used real estate to increase or diversify their portfolio, increase the cash flow they have in their lives, and some of the strategies that they've used to do it, and some of the, sh the fears that they've had to overcome to do it, you can check out one of the books called Your Life, Your Terms. Every chapter in that particular book is written by a different real estate investor right here in the greater Toronto and Golden Horseshoe area. And a free digital copy of that book is available to you at rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash books. That's it for the intro. Let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. We are live with Andrew Palhidas and Paul DeBruzzo. So you guys, I feel like uh, you're in Canada sometimes, and then sometimes you're not in Canada. But uh, this last time you weren't in Canada, uh, tell me the story. You 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 were in Turks because you guys have, is it two Airbnbs down there now? I've, I've lost track. What are you guys doing in Turks? We'll talk about Canadian real estate as well, but what are you guys doing in, in Turks right now? So we, we have a, a couple of... Don't play with the cord, Paul. We have, Don't play with the cord. We have like, a I feel like a teacher. <laughs> we have a couple of... Uh, Come towards the mic. Beach cottages in, uh, in Turks and Caicos. Uh, just a short walk to the beach. And uh, we, we, we use Airbnb and VRBO and short-term rentals to, to, to lease them out. Okay, so the financing on that to purchase something, because I think more and more people in... I don't know, maybe it's in my age or something. I just feel like everyone's asking me this. Mm. So to buy something in the Caribbean, how did you, how do you, what's the financing look like? What can you share? I don't know what you want to share or not want to share or whatever, but if a Canadian wants to buy something in the past, it was always refinance up here in some of your rental properties, pull some equity out here and go down there and just buy cash because the financing down there is just a mess. Is that what you guys did? Or is there a way to get financing down there? I, and I, you don't have to reveal all your secrets, but give us, paint a picture of how somebody does this. I don't think there's any secrets. Okay. Well, what is it? There's, there's yeah, there, there's really no organized financing down there. There are some there's some private financing available like some smaller guys here and there who will, who will lend but the terms are are not favorable i mean yeah i think we calculated it came to like 13 come i need you in the yeah, i think when we calculated it came to like 13 percent, something like that um what do you mean when you calculated there wasn't just well, a straight up interest rate oh they're like eight or nine oh, and then this fee I'm gonna fix something. 
eight or nine, then this fee, that fee, some other fee, all kinds of fees. So by the time you actually calculate it, it comes to like, I think it was like 13, 14. And this is a local bank in Turks or is this like a Canadian bank that's operating in Turks? Uh, local, it's like a local Mick, let's say. Okay. Or a local dude with some cash. Okay. You know, that's it. Okay, so, so most Canadians buying in Turks and Caicos are likely buying cash. Mm -hmm. Cash, I mean, listen, if you, if you don't have a complicated real estate portfolio wherever you are back home, US or Canada, because that's most of the buyers, and the bank can understand your tax returns, they might give you a mortgage. If you're just buying it as a second home, like a cottage in the Caribbean, okay, and you okay. may or may not rent it out and you have substantial net worth, yeah, it's possible. But chances are like two out of 10, Got I would it. say. Okay. What else have you learned about um, owning in Turks and Caicos that was interesting or surprised you in some, some capacity? After that, were there any extra taxes, fees from the government that you had to be aware of? Or once you buy the property, N nothing was a surprise to me and i think it's a very fair system i mean it's an, it's an indirect tax system like cayman islands there's it's very similar so there's no income tax there's no property tax there's no capital gain tax there's no my god any, you're speaking my language keep going yes, yes. keep going <laughs> there's really no anything tax no i mean and, and that's how do they build the roads and the, exactly. is there, is there, is there are yeah. there sidewalks at the side of the roads so it's indirect tax so, you know, everything imported into the island has, you know, some kind of import tax attached to it. So, you know, a glass that you're going to buy from the store is like four U.S. dollars. And it sounds insane that you're going to pay these kind of prices, but what's the alternative? Pay 30% of your income in taxes and pay two bucks for the glass or pay zero and pay a little bit higher for goods and services. Yeah, got it. Okay. And then if you buy, if you have some money there, which, you know, some people do on the island, you know, and you want to buy luxury items, there's luxury tax too. But it's fair, I think, in my opinion, because if you have the money, you're going to pay the tax. So if someone's there and they're going to buy a Land Rover, there's a luxury tax on the Land, Land Rover. It's already expensive, I guess, because it's an island to get the Land Rover there, but then there's a luxury tax on top of it. Correct. Okay. And the tax is also based on um, the engine size. So like Come a on. lot of small little rinky-dink cars everywhere because they're cheaper tax. But if you're gonna bring in a Range Rover or something like that, or a big truck or a Hummer, then you're gonna pay, depending on the capacity of the engine and on the price. So a buddy of ours, um, actually I saw it, um, got this like matte green Range Rover. It's actually really cool. But I, I saw it when I was leaving and he was talking a month earlier how he was importing it. That thing gonna end up costing him 200,000 US yeah, for the, a Range Rover. The luxury tax he paid was $75,000 US. Which sounds nuts, but if you think, you know, let's say the last two or three years that he's been earning income, he's probably saved $500,000 in taxes, mm. right? So he's giving some of it back to pay for, uh, you know, an extremely luxury type of product. Is that why you guys originally bought in Turks is just like you wanted a place in a jurisdiction that maybe was a bit easier on tax, a little bit more straightforward? Like, was that a primary reason? Because Andrew, I know you were going to Mexico, like you've, you've taken the family to Mexico. You've been gone down to Mexico sometimes for a month, sometimes for three months yeah. at a time, but then you've done this Turks thing. Was that a primary, what was the primary driver here? Yeah, I mean, maybe we have both different reasons. I like Mexico, but the issue with Mexico is that they don't let you own, I think it's within three or five miles. Two, two kilometers two from kilometers. the beach. So you can't own within two kilometers of the beach, which is where you want to be. Um, as so, a foreigner, you can't own? As a foreigner, you can't own. You do like a hundred year land lease. Oh. Or, you, like or you own in trust. Your lawyer holds in trust for you. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. So those are the two, kind of two issues, which I didn't really, I wasn't really a fan of. And then Turks and Caicos, originally we thought there was financing. Um, it's 
British overrule. So there's like land registry and title. Um, but to be honest, I, I always said like maybe I wouldn't buy in Mexico, but I don't know. Like things are changing. I heard that they applied for bricks. So if, if you that, have Mexico, Mexico is in your soul. Mexico is in my blood. Yeah, getting I, something in Mexico. Yeah. I think I could see myself going to Mexico, uh, um, not leaving Turks because I still like Turks, but I could see myself going to Mexico, especially if they join bricks. But it's 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 you. I, I personally, I, I might I prefer to live in Mexico versus Turks and Why? Because I'm way cheaper for everything. Oh, got it. And there's I, more options. Maybe I just I, I just totally personal. But I just appreciate the Latin culture and and the mm. the, the, the the language and the, the food, food and you yeah. know just the beach atmosphere. Okay. okay. But I wouldn't. I may not own there. My money might stay somewhere else. Okay. So these. What do you? What do you? Uh, do you, I don't. I didn't totally prep you for this. Are you okay sharing with what you own in Turks? Yeah. What is it that you own in Turks? We we have a, a couple single family homes. Okay. Um, you know, right off the beach, one block from the beach, or something like. Yeah, that? yeah, that's, that's a good way to describe it. Aren't they it. building a Ritz Carlton or something next? It's to you? already done. So they built a Ritz Carlton right next to you. Yeah, as the crow flies, it's probably five hundred meters from our house. As the crow flies. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, okay. And then, what are you renting out? These are two bedroom places. One is two bedroom, which will soon be a three bedroom. We're building an extension. Okay. And the other one's a three bedroom. And then in Turks and Caicos, if you have a two bedroom or a three bedroom, when you use Airbnb to rent them out, what would someone expect to get on that kind of property? So we get on a two bedroom, we probably average about three hundred dollars a night. Okay. U.S. Got it. High season, low season. Average. Oh, average. Sorry, average. Yeah. Three hundred dollars a night. Okay. Holy smokes! And then, what are your vacancies? How often do you have that rented out? We're probably full. We're pretty full. I think 70. 70, 75 percent. Seventy, seventy. So on a month that's really full, you're talking nine thousand U.S. a month. Mm, yeah. Because you're saying three hundred dollars. I know it's. Yeah. You said on average. Okay. Yeah. The three bedrooms more. That's like the two bedroom. What's the three bedroom? Three bedroom, I'd say maybe 380, 390. We're averaging four. Yeah. 400 a night, yeah. On the three bedroom. Yeah, it's a two bed. We, we, with a two bedroom one we've had for a while, that's the first one. And like our best year, we grossed like about 84,000 US dollars. So you've done the math. I, I'm assuming you've pulled some equity from some properties here to be able to buy those down there. But when they're producing that much gross revenue for you, the numbers work. You're happy with this? Yeah, we, we pay cash for it. Um, so I guess our ROI isn't that great because mm -hmm. we're not leveraged with financing. But, you know, uh, I think we get an ROL there, return on lifestyle that you can't get anywhere else. And you're certainly not going to get here in Toronto or Ontario. And then do you guys both use it personally? I feel like you've both been down there. Yeah, this past winter, we both were there. We were both one in, one of us, one family in each house. Yeah, so got it. And they're right good, down the street from each other. Good, good for you guys. And then now, like, I know you've been going down there regularly. What's the plan next for Turks and Caicos? Did you recently buy a boat or no? Well, we, we partnered. I feel, like, I feel like I know Andrew went to Miami or something. Yeah, we partnered with yeah. a boating company so that, you know, our, our guests, when they're down there, they want to experience the island. And being an island and a small island, you know, you, you miss half of it if you're not on a boat in the water. And there's small islands you can island hop very easily. Oh, you can't island hop. Yeah, oh there, there's a bar in the water mm -hmm. that you can only get to by boat. It's called Noah's Ark. Nice. Drake shot a video there. Like, it's cool. Nice. So you're missing out. So a lot of our our uh, guests book you know boating trips. So we partner with a boating company, and uh, we have that option for our guests now. So it's really cool.
Oh, and that's when you, because you went to Miami to get the boat. Yeah. So the the captain that we that we partnered with, um, you just can't get anything on the island. Sure. Right. So him and I, we actually flew up to Miami, drove around all over Florida. Oh, that was smart. You brought it. He went with you and then imported it. Yeah. Yeah. He knows his stuff. Okay. Imported it. So does this boat goes on another boat to get to Turks or no? Somebody drives a sail, sails, it drives it on another boat. They put it on a trailer. We brought the trailer down too. Okay. You need the trailer. So put it on a trailer, put it on a boat. How fun was that experience? That was awesome. We don't have enough time in the day. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a disaster. Where did you buy it in Florida? Like, did you go Florida Um, somewhere? Sebring, Florida. Where's that? Near Lake Placid, like dead center, Florida. I loved it there. It's just people were so nice. There was, there was like, there's no you ocean. You bought the there. boat in dead center, Florida? Dead center, Florida. Like Where there's lake. no water? No, there's a lake. lake oh, okay. Lake Placid. I don't know if anyone's ever been in Sebring, Mm-mm. Florida. It's like Man. between West Palm and like Sarah. Okay. Florida. It's just like, yeah, just right dead center. That's what I was thinking too. Why would there be a boat there? But there were, and there was a lot. And Boater's World, I guess was the name of the place. I'll give them a little plug, but they were really nice. But it was just... Um, yeah, everyone was so nice, and it's just a cool little place. Like, I actually really liked it. It's not near the coast at all, but I don't know. I would have moved there. So you get this place, so now you partner with this. Guests have this. So this is something you guys will likely keep for the rest of your lives. There's no plan to get out of Turks. Is there any status, permanent citizens, uh, sorry, permanent resident status you can get when you own property? How does that work? It's very expensive. Is it? The reason I'm asking is, let's say we were supposed to, we were supposed to, my gosh. Let's say we went down the path of another lockdown. Does, do these properties give you the legal right to enter Turks in any capacity? Yeah, you can get uh, like a junior residency, let's call it. It's called a homeowner's pass. Basically, you skip the line at security when you check in. Sounds like Canada's Wonderland Fast Pass, or something. Yeah, it's, actually, <laughs> it's actually basically that. Basically that. You cut the okay. line at customer. Cut the line at security, so, and you can stay a little bit longer. Okay, so that's for anyone who owns property. Yeah. Down there. Yeah. And uh, what, what is it? Five, five, basically, grand five grand for five to five grand. And then I think it gets cheap, like two grand for a wife and blah, blah. Let's say I call it five to seven grand for five years. How much fun are you guys having down there when your both families are down there? Oh, yeah. It's wild. And now you're going to have this, but you partner with this guy with this boat. Mm-hmm. How much fun are you guys going to have? Oh, the, the boat, the boat stuff to me, when what you just said reminds me of when we go to Croatia, there's a little island off of this um, other island called Korchula. And there's this tiny little island. And all it is is a restaurant some really nice beach area there's always like instagram people like in a swing taking pictures or whatever they're doing there's a big rock structure and there's a dj booth in this big rock structure and then there's like this big flag on top of it and then behind the restaurant it says like painted on the rock it says like massages and there's an arrow and i'm always it's always a little like i'm you know it's that's, I'm that's where you're headed Tom. no 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 not at all no, it's just always like looks like what's going down on this island but then i found out that Leonardo DiCaprio rents this whole little island out sometimes. And it all started to make sense to me. I go, oh my gosh, this is, cause we're there at like 12 PM having lunch with the family. They're cooking some fresh fish. It's really nice. But I'm like, oh, this is probably a completely different experience at midnight mm-hmm. with Leonardo DiCaprio pulling up on his boat. Yeah, there's, <laughs> there's like 10 of those little islands around. Yeah, it's and so cool. It's, 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 it is really cool. Just to zip around, like it's, for me, I love it. Like you're just, you cannot be, you can't be anything else but to have a giant smile on your face. That was the one thing um, when I went to, I went, actually, when I went to the coast of Portugal, and I went to Portugal and I and didn't seem, I didn't, we didn't know really where to take the boats because you couldn't see any islands. The island hopping experience off a coast to me is just next level. Mm-hmm. Do you get that in, when, where do you guys go in Mexico that you usually like? Oh, Playa del Carmen. Yeah, Playa del Carmen. And can you do that off the coast of Mexico? Well, you can go to Cozumel. 
Uh, you can. I mean, if, you, yeah. if you had the boat, okay. you could. Okay, so it's Turks just, Turks gives you something special then. Turks has a lot of different little keys or K's or whatever they call them, keys. and islands and stuff. So it's like you can just go to all these different islands and keys and other beaches. The beaches are nicer. And you can, like, if, if, you, if you like being in the water like we do, like the snorkeling just is, is like three minutes away, like yeah, world class. And if you thing. dive, five minutes away is like the third largest reef in the world. Wow. Okay. And then as Canadians, you have these properties down there. I guess you were able to open bank accounts. You've needed local bank accounts. I guess that wasn't a problem or that was difficult. <laughs> no, everything's a problem. Yeah. Okay. Every single thing's a problem. Um, yeah. It sounds like Croatia. It was difficult to open the bank accounts. Mm-hmm. That are sl- like we start, I think end of, it was end of January. I started opening up a new bank account and that's any, maybe, but it should be ready soon. So January 1st, so we're like so, three, three and a half months. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds we're going right. down again in May. It should be ready by then. <laughs> that probably. sounds right. Yeah. You know what we make? I think all three of us here, we kind of take jabs at Canada, I think, because we know how obviously it seems so easy to make things better in this country, but then you go down and do some things like that. And it does remind you that some things actually work pretty well here. Yeah. You know, you can't things open a bank. Yeah. Things, things are, I, I just, <clears throat> and I'm not stabbing at anything. It just, at least they're direct about it. They what don't do promise you anything more got it okay they're like we're slow yeah, yeah, yeah. this is live with it this is it like okay how old are you guys now 30 i'm 39 37. 39 39 and 37 okay uh, when did you start buying r- rental property investing in real estate in some capacity i started at 22 22 and paul 24 22 and 24 so now you've been doing this for some time over a decade you guys are old fucking guys um when you reflect back on why you started or what you envisioned when you started getting into real estate has it been what you thought it would be has it helped you achieve what you thought it might help you achieve so yeah. paul can you can you go first yeah yeah uh, totally i just you know you 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 know you envision something how it's going to be uh, but you never know how you're going to get there so all the ups and downs like you never expected but then you kind of get there and you think back and you're like oh i, I kind of i asked for this like you know, I'm, I'm here now, like, thank God, right? And then you kind of, at that, at that moment, you kind of learn, you could go back and you learn all those lessons and like, okay, I, I figured it out. Like, I can, I can teach this to somebody else. Do you feel like owning real estate for this long has helped you achieve some sort of financial stability or freedom that you wouldn't have otherwise? Well, if I just, I'm just talking about me personally, if I go back and I'm like, what other asset could I have purchased? when I was 24, that would give me this. I, I can't figure it out. And what is this when you say this? Some time freedom, well, personal some, freedom? Some, yeah, all that, so some time freedom, personal freedom, you know, the, just some wealth that we've kind of built up, the cash flow we've built up, the, it, it just working just in our portfolio, never mind what we do with sales, but like the, the, the business skills and the acumen you've had to develop to kind of move yourself up in, in, in the world of real estate investment. Like, I don't know where else I could get that. I, I, and what did you start with, Paul? Was it single did, family home? Single family? Was it a rent to own? It was a straight rent, rent? A rent to own. So you started with single family rent to own, and then you morphed into like student rentals, student rentals, multifamily, multifamily, long time land development. Still doing multifamily, but yeah, now we're we're doing land development. I think at this point, where our our portfolio is large enough that you know we're creating future income, like mm-hmm, you say. Mm-hmm but we have capital and equity. So we're using that to create now income too. Mm -hmm. So the future income is good and we're always growing that, but 
we got to do what we can do to make now income. So money in, money comes back with profit. And the problems that you faced through your journey of real estate investing, when you look back on those problems now, because at the time, I'm sure you hit some real estate problems where you, where you thought the world was coming to an end. So, you know, I don't know if it would be zoning or when it was really early, a maintenance request that you had no money to fix or whatever it was where you kind of shit yourself. and You're like, holy shit, I'm like up the creek here. Reflecting back on it now, I guess those problems, we all know, like they don't look like big problems anymore. But if you were to go back and tell somebody that's going through that right now today, I'm putting you on the spot here, mm-hmm. but like, what would you tell them? Because, you know, early on, you kind of shit yourself if you hit a problem in real estate within the first couple of years of owning it because you have no extra money to fix the problem. What, yeah. what would you tell that person? I mean, after all these years, and it sounds corny and cheesy, but th- that's the price you pay. Like you, you start from nothing and you, you, ask, you ask the universe to give you this, this lifestyle, these things or whatever it is that you want. And you got to pay. You pay with problems and dealing with shit. If you're not willing to deal with shit, well, guess what? You get nothing. Mm-hmm. Right? There's no university course. You can go to all the universities you want. It's not going to buy you properties or make you smart mm-hmm. <laughs> or get you anywhere. So, so, you know, dealing with the problems is just the price you pay to build a base of assets underneath you. To, to, to buy the freedom that you want. You're not going to get it for free. Mm. Tell me something you get for free like that. Well, I like that. Andrew, when did you, uh, what did you start with? Was it also rent-to-owns? No, it was a condo. <clears throat> okay. So I got con- a condo in Toronto. Okay. And a neg- that's right. Negative yeah, cash yeah. Flow. That's right. Yeah, I, I forgot this. I didn't even I know forgot cash this. flow was a thing then. Yeah, yeah. I forgot this whole story. Okay, you started with that, <clears throat> and then now have you also gone? To, did you have you gone down student rental path? Yeah, student yeah, rentals. Student rental. I mean, single family duplexes, rent to owns, and then some land development as well. Some land development, yeah, with Paul and all that. So different Has, Airbnbs, Airbnbs in Toronto. We were at the Airbnbs in Turks. I just kind of played around with a lot of different stuff. And looking back now at 39, has it all been worth it? All the pain of getting yeah, the financing and, and why? So like what specifically has been worth it? Like is it time freedom, financial freedom? Yeah, I think it's both. It's financial freedom and time freedom. Time freedom, I think, is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was starting out, like my goal, my life goal at the time was to have three properties and then retire with three. Like so I was like, OK, oh, I had like a 40 year plan or 45 year plan to buy three houses. And uh, so obviously achieving that faster, it just is better, right? Um, Forgot to factor in inflation in that calculation. Well, yeah, that's, (laughs) yeah. Um, No, it's decent actually. I did factor in inflation because my plan is, okay, I had the condo. Then what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna, with the condo, I'll buy a second one, I'll pay it off. So I wanted to pay it off. I didn't even know what leverage was. I didn't know the income was, or, or sorry, the interest was tax deductible. I didn't know anything about anything. So I was like, okay, I'll buy one. I'll pay it off in 20 years. Then I'll buy a second one using the first ones. I'm going to buy that, pay that off in 10 years. Then I'll buy a third one, pay it off in like five years. And so like 35 years later, I'll have three properties. I'll be loaded. Um, so I think I, I, and I always, it's not, I mean, it's a good, that's a, just a, a good plan. It's not a bad plan yeah, at so 22. Agree. Right. Yeah. But I always thought that I would just be working regular jobs throughout all that shit mm-hmm. and just grinding forever because I never even knew you could live any other way. Like I'd never seen no family, no friends, no relatives, no one on my street. I'd never, except for movies, which you know, you never, you don't ever think are real, but you don't see other people. Everybody in my life grinds. What, yeah, what do your friends say? Because just watching you, like, from my experience, is like, I never know if you're in the country or out of the country. I never know if you're in Mexico. Like, I do know, but it doesn't surprise me if someone's like, oh, Andrew's in Mexico right now. I'm like, oh, okay, of course he's in Mexico. If it's Mexico or Turks, you're here for a bit. 
what, what do some of your friends, have they figured you out? Like what, what do they say when they see no. you? <laughs> no, I mean, do they ask how you're doing what you're doing? No. Hmm. It's fascinating. Nobody, no. nobody really cares. I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy because what happens is as, as life goes on and stuff like that, you kind of get new acquaintances and new friends and new things like that. And you still have your original friends, but my original friends, I see them once, twice a year, maybe. Um, and they don't, they don't care. Like if I just say, hey, I'm doing this, I'm like, oh, that's cool. Hey, did you check out the new, uh, what's that? Uh, Movie that came out, no, yes. Yeah. One of my buddies just told me. Um, Super Mario. Yeah, it's a Grand Theft Auto's, there's a new Grand Theft Auto coming out. Hey man, did you hear about yeah. the new Grand, and I'm like, no. Like, the last one came out like 10 years ago, he's saying, and I'm like, oh, I don't know. Like I remember that one, I guess, but. So it's like, no, I just, we just don't have things in common, and. We can bond over drinks and stuff, yeah, yeah. and it's just yeah, like a little it. bit of catching up. How's yeah, the kids? How's yeah. this? How's that? But having freedom to, like financial freedom to have the time to go to a kid's concert or a doctor's appointment or whatever, you know priceless, what I mean? Priceless, no? That's priceless. Yeah, to me, because, that's everything. Yeah, because I mean, I called up one of my friends once, and I remember. It's Annette, more valuable to me than the watch that you're wearing on your wrist. Even more than that. I, <laughs> it is more valuable than any like jewelry or watch or material goods. I called a friend, and, and then he called me back at like 5.02. And he's like, oh, sorry, I couldn't pick up. Actually, one of my buddies that we rarely talk. And he's like, I couldn't pick up because I have to pick up after 5. And then it was almost, I almost forgot. And I was like, does your company pay for the phone? And he's like, no, it's like my phone. And I was like, I remember thinking like, so you pay for the phone, you pay the phone bill, but these other humans are telling you when you can pick why, it up. What is it? I don't I, know why that bothers me so much. No, and it bothers me too. And I guess that's why we've all found each other. But where does that come from in you? Because I sometimes question that in myself. I'm like, why does that bother me so much? Like, I just don't want someone to have control over me in that kind of way. Where does that come from in you? You were just born with it, you think? Well, I guess like people who know me say I just have a problem with authority. And I always had a problem with authority, but it's like, okay, maybe that's authority, but it's like, it's, what's the authority? I paying for the phone. It's my authority. Mm-hmm. Why would it be someone else's authority? Like right now, I mean, if, if an emergency happened, I could end this podcast and just leave. If something happened sure. with my kids at school. I'm like, all right, peace out. We'll continue this later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like no one can stop you from taking care of your family, but apparently these bosses and these workplaces can. And I I'd had bought and I had work and I had jobs like that. And I remember it and they were all losers. And I'm not trying to sound like an asshole, but it's just like the people that were telling me what to do. Too late. <laughs> yeah, too late. But the people I remember working in a call center, for example, and you're, you got to dial for dollars yeah, yeah. and you're just dialing, dialing, dialing. And then this, I worked in that kind of environment. This guy is just sitting on the end of the row. It's like, it's like a yeah. chain gang of slaves. Yeah. And this guy's yeah. sitting at the <laughs> end of the row and he's listening in randomly on your people's calls and then telling, oh, call faster, yeah. hang up. Yeah, this. I worked in that kind of environment. And I was just like, what the, what, what is this? We had to make 50 calls a day. Yeah. And, uh, oh, that's peanuts. Yeah. 50 calls a day. Really? It was peanuts. Yeah. I was at 120, 120, 120 to 140 a day. You were probably selling something very basic. I was yeah, yeah, a true. very advanced piece of true, software. True. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm joking. No, I was, t- I was selling shredding services. So oh, right. You? Yeah, yeah. Right, very basic. It was, 50. but some people to get it out of the way, they would kind of sneak into the office early, like at seven 30 and they had a list of phone numbers that they knew would just go to voicemail and stuff. And they would just hit those phone <laughs> numbers and they would hit their metric every day and then kind of have the rest of the day off, like just walk around the office and bother people. Well, I didn't want to get into it, but now that you said it, I had a paper. <laughs> so when I needed a break, I'd call and I'd be like, do, do, do. 
this lumber is not in service. And I would sit there. Just listening to the music. And then, but around. then if the guy like got into my call, like, hang up when it's like that. And I'm like, ah, oh, damn. Because he got caught, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I remember all those just, games. Yeah, it was just, it was terrible though. But the person that's terrible. barking at you. Soul sucking. Is just not, in my opinion, wasn't worth the authority. Mm-hmm. Huh, I never thought right? like about I'll it. listen right. to yep. your advice. Yep. Yep. I respect you. If Kevin O'Leary came in here and started talking about, I would listen to him because I respect them. But people that you have no respect for are telling you when you can't pick up your phone. I had a problem with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that bothered me too. You're right. That was a little bit, especially I remember one guy would walk around in a blue blazer with some gold buttons on it. And he was just kind of slapping you on the back, wishing you the best on your calls that day. And I remember thinking, who is this guy? Like, what has he done? What's his story? Like, why is he just walking around? And it seemed like, you know, kind of just like this lazy sales guy that would kind of slap you on the on the back. And it was just a weird environment. You do learn a lot about yourself in those environments. It is a pressure cooker. When I was in that kind of environment, that's when I... I basically almost pissed myself at my desk because I quit a sales consulting role, went into straight sales and the field sales rep that I was mapped to that we were supposed to work at as a team. I was in Toronto. He's in Chicago. My very first day, Aiden was already born. Carol, we decided, you know, we could see if we can keep her at home to like kind of be supportive for the whole family and really kind of thrilled to do that. But then I quit my job, did this on the first day in my new role my base salary went down and he just ripped me an asshole. Italian guy from Chicago just ripped. But you know, I learned a lot. I full respect. I learned a ton from that guy, but he ripped me an asshole. He's like, you're going to fail. Who the hell are you? Why do you think you're able to work with me? None of my accounts, all my accounts are offsides for you. Don't even consider calling any of the accounts, which I was told to call because I was supposed to make other sales into the same accounts. And I just remember almost just pissing myself at the desk. But you, I've heard you tell that story before. How valuable was that? So valuable. And that was the pain you had to get. You had to yeah. pay the price. Yeah, to your point, that was the pain. That was when you almost shit your pants. Like I was like, I ruined my fan. I, I messed everything up. Like I knew I had to go down. You know what it was? I was walking into the office one day and I was so happy to move from tech support into sales in a sales consulting role where I had a higher base and some bonuses. Uh, I was telling this one guy that I really respected a sales manager, this this uh, Mexican guy that out of California that had been transferred up to Toronto temporarily and just respected him. You know, he was an entrepreneur, ran a restaurant um, in San Francisco. Just this guy had been around a bit, had some really good life experiences. And I remember telling him on the walk in from the parking lot, I said, you know, his name is Ed. And I'm like, Ed, I am so grateful to be in this sales role. You know, I'm making a bit more money now because of these bonuses and stuff. And he looked at me and he kind of, you know, just, he, he just smiled and he said, you're not in sales because you're not in sales until you carry a bag. And I didn't even know what a bag was, but that was sales talk for a quota because hmm. you're not in sales. You know, Cause I had a higher base and all these guys. And I just remember irking me like in a positive way. I just remember going, I can do this. I can go, I can carry a bag. I, and I guess that's just like maybe human competitiveness that maybe doesn't serve you sometimes, but it just served me in that moment. I'm like, I can do, you know, I can do this. You need that. He made you uncomfortable. Yeah. He made me uncomfortable and he challenged me. And, uh, I think he just walked away and had his coffee and his breakfast. He didn't know what he said. He just walked away, kind of chuckled to himself like, Hey, this little kid thinks he's in like sales, (laughs) you know? And, uh, that made me go in and I, I just thank him to this. I always thank him for that. That changed, that really changed my life. It gave me confidence knowing that I could go through these 50 calls. And I did think it was bullshit. I'm like, this is the wrong metric to measure like it's all wrong but you navigate through that you survive it it makes you stronger for sure so to your point yes um i'm curious you guys have done a lot now you have a lot of time freedom and stuff but when you were just starting out like andrew i remember when you were starting out with us like finances were tough 
and then you committed a lot of time and effort to starting in real estate. How have you managed it with like a young family? So just for anyone listening out there, how did you, did you just tell well, the family, listen, I'm not going to be around for a little bit because I got to start this whole new side of my life in the real estate world. How did, how did you? Oh, to be fair, actually, I didn't have kids. I wasn't mm-hmm. even married. So I think I started with you guys at, I think, 24, mm-hmm. 25, something like that. But I wasn't married and I didn't have kids. And I was just working day and night all the time. I remember, actually, I fell asleep at the wheel at 3 p.m. in the afternoon and crashed my car on the highway. I, holy shit. And I then... I forgot about that. that I was, rear-ended. Was that the Cadillac? Because the Cadillac. And I rear-ended somebody, and everyone was like, oh, man, how fast are you going? I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> but the good thing is, I guess, when the police showed up, nobody, like, it was easy to say I wasn't asleep. Like, what happened? I'm like, oh, I was slammed on his brakes, I guess. But for those first few years, you were making no money with us. No. Um, <laughs> how did you, I don't understand how you justified to keep going. You just thought, no, this is going to work out? Like, what were, what were you telling yourself? Yeah, I just knew it would work out. And it's funny because I left a six-figure job. I was director of business development for an IT company. And I left. And it's just, but it was just the Monday shit on you meetings. I just couldn't take anymore. And it was just the whole environment was just poison. And so just going out and working, I just, I just knew it would work. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. I've had a number of people tell me that they've had the self-belief that things are going to work out. I'm just trying to figure out where that self-belief comes from. Cause I had a similar self-belief and I, it's, t- it's difficult to know, but it can't not work. What do you if you put in 80 to 120 hours a week, every week for 10 years, something's got to work. Like you can't do 80 to 100 push-ups a day, every day for 10 years and not get jacked. Like it's just, it's gonna, either you're gonna quit or it's gonna work. Well, you, right? you, you, mm-hmm. you must, your, whatever you want, your ultimate outcome has to be that important to you that yeah. you keep grinding or else. How did you manage it, Paul? So Andrew just pushed through. Um, were you the same? You started oh doing stuff with us early too. Why are you saying, oh my God, yeah, well, you were a firefighter at that time? Yeah, or no? I was a fireman in Toronto and yeah, I didn't, I didn't make it. I almost killed myself. <laughs> so. Why? Like what, what, what was it? It was just all too much, too much time committed to real estate and, the, and firefighting. Well, yeah. I mean, I was a full-time, you know, firefighter in Toronto and I love that job and I, I still do. I still miss the guys. I actually have more friends now that I'm retired than, <laughs> than when I was on there. And, uh, but I was doing that full time plus doing, you know, real estate sales and, you know, working with investors full time plus building a portfolio full time. And then slowly, you know, Laura and I started to build a family and one daughter, two daughters, three daughters. And then, you know, it just, you know, it was a straw that broke the camel's back. Like I had to give up something. So I didn't have time to breathe or think. And, was it difficult uh, to give up fire? Yeah, it was the hardest thing I ever had to do in my life. It was terrible. Terrible. Yeah. But, and, also and, a rare job with a big pension. I know that doesn't matter to you, but yeah. that's what a rare job I feel that has a decent pension, no? Does it's it? Golden handcuffs. Mm. Yeah. You get, you know, you get your, I think now they're at, uh, when I retired, I was getting like 108 grand a year. Now they're up to like 120 with inflation. How old were you when you walked away from fire? 34. 34, 35. Some of your fears of walking away from fire, have they come true, those fears? Like, what were you worried about when you walked away? There must have been something was well, going to be the extra. There's a lot. That's a lot of money to walk away from. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had to talk to people. I had no choice because I couldn't figure it out on my own. And uh, it was, you know, part of it was you know, the money. But I'm like, I make I make money. Like, I don't that wasn't a problem. It is more the identity because I had formed an identity about myself 
this is who I am, huh. this is what I do. And, uh, you know, I, I remember talking to Mike back in the day and he's like, oh, hey, why don't you get your real estate license? And I'm like, I hate realtors, like, leave me alone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I will burn every bridge behind me until I become a fireman. I remember saying that to him. So that was really important to me. I wanted to do it since I was a kid. So to let it go, I had to realize that it's, it's not serving me anymore. And, you know, it's kind of over. How did you come to the point to realize it wasn't serving you anymore? A lot of reflection. You know, my body was a mess. So I had to heal my body. So my mind. Your body was a mess from the stress? Stress is like, I don't know, it must be like worse than alcohol, I guess. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I remember you were breaking then. Terrible, 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 terrible for your body, terrible for your mind. You know, and uh, so I had to heal my body and then my mind could think. And then the, the healthier I got or, or the sicker I was, the more I wanted to go back to fire. But the healthier I got, the more I was like, holy shit, I made a mistake. You know, I should have let this go a year earlier. Like, what am I doing to myself? And, you know, at, at some point I had to just pull the trigger. Huh. And has your, are you, how, how did your identity change now? You're okay with letting that go? You're a guy who, who has retired from firefighting yeah. and you're just okay with that. Yeah. I mean, now I, I, I went from never to even talking about it at all mm-hmm. to like, you know, I, I don't walk into rooms and announce that to people, but I just, I, it's part of my conversation. Like, who are you? What do you do? Like, well, you know, I was a former fireman and now I'm a full-time real estate investor. Mm-hmm. It's funny watching both you guys, like from, from my vantage point, I see two people who you could take everything away from both of you today and you guys are going to have it all back. And now much faster than you would when you were in your twenties, because of all the experience you have, you just have this weird ability, both of you in different ways to make shit happen. Like Paul, just watching you over the years, I always joke that you're like an old Italian guy and you know, a 30 year old body. Um, but you just have this weird knack to be able to find opportunities in real estate. And then you just look at it like an obvious opportunity and will jump on it. Whereas other people will analyze it to death and find all the reasons not to do something. How, how have you overcome that? Cause you see an opportunity with multifamilies, student rentals, all different types of investing. And then you just do it. Whereas most people, they, they freeze it, it uh, because I mean, uh, and I hate to beat a dead horse. It's like, cause I, I knew what I wanted. I knew what I want my portfolio to do for me. Like it has to do something. I'm not buying properties so I can walk around like I walk, walk around with Rolexes and it's, you know, it's a big thing for my ego. Like I'm doing that because it has to give me a specific result. And the specific result was what? To give me back my time and my freedom. Mm. To come in here, to wake up this morning, go work out, jump in an ice bath, take a shower and come here and talk to you. And I don't really care. Mm. You know, no one's going to tell me what to do. You know, that's what. So you were looking at the end result of this. So when I go see a property, it's not, oh, is it a good cash flow or is it the zoning? That's after. It's, is this property going to get me closer to where I want to be? It's simple yes or simple no. And if it's yes and they're, they're rare, and the one that's going to get me there the fastest, I'm, fuck, I'm in. What do you mean they're rare? I mean, to find a, a type of property that, you know, you can, that's going to produce good income, that's going to give me the cash flow I want. Plus, have the ability for me to force some appreciation, mm-hmm. to recover my capital back. 
yet still appreciate in the marketplace, be valuable. What's some of your favorite Canadian real estate right now? Let's, I know we talked about Turks, but now back here in this area, Ontario, what is some of your favorite now, either for yourself or someone who you're working with? Because I know you're working with investors, with someone you're working with, what type of property meets those criteria now? I know we're in a super high interest rate environment. Yeah, it, we're st it's still multifamily. Like it's the, the basic bread and butter. Like so like a duplex, a triplex, a fourplex. Okay. I thought you were going to start with sixplex. So duplex too. Yeah. Yeah. We just had a, a, a training class for, you know, some of my investor network last night. We had 230 people talking about multifamily commercial financing. Awesome. Because I think people get it now, and especially in times like this where residential financing is, you know, painful, let's say it's going to be for a short period of time here and nothing we can do about it. You have to pivot. Mm -hmm. And what's left? I think Bank of Canada is announcing something as we sit here right now. Yeah, well, great. Yeah. Let's, but we, okay, so not what, what do people need to know about, just at a high level, what do people need to know about commercial financing? It's straightforward. You know, the bank doesn't care about you. They need to know that you're a functioning part of society and that you have a SIN number and you work and stuff, but they're not using debt ratios to qualify the property. They're, quali they're sorry, qualify you as a, as a person. They're, uh, whether you can afford the property, they're going to qualify the property as a business. They, you know, they want the gross income. They want the net income. They take the net income and they calculate how much debt you can service. Very simple. You're still going to personally guarantee on that. You're going to personally guarantee it but they're not taking your, your, your paycheck and saying, Hey, you can only afford this yeah. type of mortgage. Who are the, who are the best lenders that you like for that now? Or do you just have to go through brokers to find this kind of stuff? Oh, we, yeah, I always a broker. The only bank I would go to for something like that would be a credit union. Got it. And have you used credit unions in the past? Oh yeah. Any, any, like a Meridian, like a Meridian, like a Desjardins. We just closed a deal with Desjardins. Uh, those two the most. Are these contacts that you found through referrals or you're walking into a Desjardins? Did, does Desjardins have locations? I don't even know. Uh, Desjardins. That's Todd O'Donnell's a Desjardins insurance guy. Yeah, I think, I, I, I don't know the if they do. Might. I, I Meridian can, does. Okay, but you, you're getting a contact through some way. You call them up and then you start the process for financing. Yeah, them. credit no. unions, I find they're, they're like, they have internal brokers in a sense. They don't call them brokers, yeah. but they're reps for mm -hmm. a location, mm -hmm. for Hamilton, for Oakville, for Niagara, for Halton, whatever. And you talk to those people and they're usually, you know, smart people because they got to take care of the region, right? They can't, they can't, they have to know what they're talking about. So, I mean, and, and they're, they, they want to build their business and their book and it's, they have a, a wider angle to work with rather than the rigidity of black and white banks. What would you have done differently in your twenties now, knowing what you know now about around real estate? I would have, uh, learned to raise money earlier. Hmm that would allow you to grow faster. But raising money means dealing with other people. Yeah, but in just from my own personal perspective, like you can be a really great investor and really shit at raising money. And you can be really good at raising money and really shit at an investor like Bernie Madoff, right? Mm. Raise all the money and lose it. But if you're good at both, you're a god of real estate. Like you're unstoppable. Mm -hmm. who, who can touch you? Mm -hmm. you can do whatever you want in whatever country you want. Yeah, most people are good at one or the other. Correct. Can raise money, not so good at finding good properties. Other people find good properties, can't find any money ever. And anybody you meet who's good at both, are they poor? Mm -hmm. Are they locked down to some That's office? That's a good right? way to look at it. Yeah. Impossible. Mm -hmm. I have never met anyone mm -hmm. who's good at both. And then how would somebody get good at raising money from what you see now? Holy shit. I mean, I don't have a formula like the. I, I'm actually looking at you know, training courses on how to do it mm. uh, for specific asset classes. Like I'm, 
I guess, somewhat good at it now. I've raised some capital, mm -hmm. a decent amount of capital for some of our development projects. You have. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, we just raised three million dollars for our latest development project. And awesome. I have no clue what I'm doing. I just had to call some lawyers to make sure I'm not breaking <laughs> laws. And I'm like, okay, give me the contract. Here's a check. I don't yeah, give yeah, me a loan. Soak's goddamn expensive. And I just, it, just having a network and people that trust me and respect mm -hmm. what I do and know, it, it's easy. Mm -hmm. You're hitting on the biggest thing, to, which to me is the answer, having the network, people who know, like, and trust you. Yeah. To me, I always hit this, is that the biggest asset in anyone's life, which they don't realize, is the size of their network and their relationship with it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I'll use the word like a database, like I'll say, hey, what's the size of the database that you have? Uh, and what I mean by that are like the email addresses and you know the contacts and your relationship with it. Mm -hmm. But it, it's the size of your network and the relationship you have with your network. Because some people will have a, a large network, but they don't have a relationship with those people. They just kind of like know these people, but you are developing and it's going to be interesting, both of you, because you are developing a larger and larger network and you are good at maintaining a relationship with that network. So this will compound for you in the next 10 years quite nicely, whether you see that or not now. The next 10 years, like to me now and you guys in your late 30s, this is where it all gets super interesting. As you enter your 40s and the momentum that you have now, it's uh, things are going to get super interesting. Yeah, you got to decide again. I mean, I'm... I'm always looking at, you know, what's next? Like, what am I trying to accomplish now? Like, I, I don't want to grind every day. I don't know. Well, when do you want to start? Yeah, I'm going to ask, uh, Andrew, I'm going to ask you a question just on how you explain to people about their, uh, you know, when they want to buy properties with using their credit line and put no money into the property and how they, you know, how you kind of answer that question. But now you, Paul, I just want to ask you one more question. Where does this stop for you? Uh, this is a question you have to ask yourself all the time. I mean, up until you know, the last year and a half, it was just chugging along, but you know, things have changed out there and you know, the world's changed since COVID and I don't really want to talk about it, but you know, <laughs> we've had to pivot and what's important in your life. And so at this point, I, I don't know, I think options are, are important at this point and where you are located, where your money lives, where you live and where your family lives may not all be the same place. Mm, yeah, that's for sure becoming more important. The 92-year-old Paul DeBruzzo, what would he tell the 37-year-old Paul today, do you think, about what to do with his life, his family, his money, his time? Fuck. I have no idea. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. That's a hard one. I'm do you think the 92-year-old Paul DeBruzzo is going to be happy with the 37-year-old Paul DeBruzzo's choices right now? I, I think, you know, you'll... you'll it's easy to is is everyone's a genius in hindsight sure right i mean i i'm i just, i know in my heart i'm doing the best i can and i'm doing it for good reasons mm -hmm. you know i'm not trying to cheat and steal anyone and i'm just you know trying to help would the, the more people i help would, would the 92 year old paul DeBruzzo be happy with the way the 37 year old paul DeBruzzo is taking care of his health right now oh yeah yeah much better good yeah, yeah i'm in good shape now mm -hmm. yeah much better yeah a andrew you have this you have this way of explaining to people. Some people have come to us over the years and are like, well, I'm not going to buy this property. I know we're in the era of high interest rates, so let's yep. just park that for one second. But they come to you and they say, hey, Andrew, I'm not going to buy this property. It doesn't work. There's no cash flow. And you find out that they're taking the down payment from a credit line on their primary home or from another property. And then they're getting the financing from the bank and they're doing the math. And they're like, well, when I carry them, you know, the interest costs on this credit line and, you know, get the financing, there's nothing here. 
how do you, I've heard you tackle this and I think I, I really like the way you answer it. Do you know what I'm referring yeah, to? I do, yeah. yeah. So how do you answer that to people? I mean, I tell people if you treat the house, it's funny, almost like an entity or a person, you got to be fair to the house or the property. Right. Um, so if the investor is putting down 80%, right. Uh, or sorry, the, the bank is putting down 80%. So let's say, and I speak to the investor, I say, uh, and it's better just if I'm speaking to you, let's say you're, you're the investor. And I'll say, okay, well, 80% of this is gonna be funded by Scotiabank. Where are you getting the down payment from? And they say, well, I'm getting the 20% from a HELOC or a line of credit from TD. And then I'll say, okay, Tom, 80%'s coming from Scotia, 20%'s coming from TD. What do you bring to the table? Right? Especially like when you're coming along, you're not even finding the property. We're gonna help you find the property, right? So we're gonna help you find the property. Scotia's gonna put 80, TD's gonna put 20, and you're just Tom. You're just in the middle. All you're doing is middle manning the coach and the two banks all together, and then you're gonna pick up all the, maybe not cash flow, but you're gonna pick up all the appreciation, all the mortgage pay down, um, all the you know future growth, all the benefits, all the, the tax, write-off. The tax benefits. Yeah, the tax benefits, everything that you're gonna benefit from this property, and you're not even putting any money in. So yes, you can't cash flow, but that's okay because you're still building equity. If you're paying off the mortgage a dollar a month, right? Then you're still making a dollar a month that's getting paid off by the tenants. The tenants are going to pay the rent. So the tenants are going to be paying the ongoing obligation. TD and Scotia are paying a little for the purchase and you're just kind of in the middle. So you got to be fair to the property is the way I see it, right? Um, so the negative cash flow in that situation is them contributing to their, to yeah. their property. And if it negative cash flows, you know, $200 a month, then consider that as a deferred down payment program. Right, so you're putting no money down now, but hey, would you like to buy, get on this real estate train and that keeps going you know, crazy, even in this market, it's, it's starting to pick back up again. You can get into real estate with no money down and do 300, 400, let's say it's negative $400. Okay, you pay $400 a month into this property as a deferred down payment program, right? Because you don't have any money now. If you don't want a negative cash flow 400, no problem, $700,000 property, come up with 140 Gs. So I don't have 140 Gs. Okay, then pay $400 a month. What do people say when you break it out like that to them? Uh, people pretty much, I mean, they get it because it's maybe very blunt, but it's, it's the truth. But here's the right? number one obje objection you get. They're like, well, how do I pay back the line of credit? Yeah, I always say, listen, over time, you can refinance. Refinance, pull the equity out, and then pay back the line of credit. How long is that going to take, Andrew? <laughs> And why are you saying it like that, Paul? Because you agree that's the way to do it? Like No, because that that's, and, and I've heard this conversation 800 times, you know, and he answers it very well. And, and, and I know when people challenge, that's the exact question. It's, but, but okay, but the debt's out there. I know it's not my money, but how do I pay it back? Mm -hmm. And how long is it gonna take? It's funny, I had the, the first student rental that we ever bought, because um, I was flipping some properties, and then we Nick and Nick tricked me into the student rental uh, that was kind of way too much beat down. And long story, but anyway, it's we still own it. To, it's fine. It's, it worked out. But this, the, it was the guy that we bought it from. I tried to do a no money down offer on him because I was reading some books and I got Microsoft Word out and I typed out some offer. It was probably all legally wrong, and I presented it to him and he put his arm around me. He said, uh, "You know, Tom, we know we did this back in the day. We when interest rates are this low, and at the time, low interest rates. Then this is like." late 90, 2000, so like, I don't know. I don't even know what they were. I don't even know what the rate was that we got on this property, but I guess it was 5%, 6%. I don't know, I don't, honestly, I don't even know. Um, he goes, I just want my money. We don't do this when rates aren't in their teens or, or whatever. And uh, he said, you know, 
I'm selling this because my family doesn't want these properties and uh, I'm finally going to pay off the interest only loan that I got in the 70s when I bought this property. And somehow he told me, I don't know if this was true or not true, but he bought the property for around 50,000 and 100% financing. Again, I don't know true or not true. And uh, he had never paid off the, uh, don't do not do that to the mic, sorry, Paul. Uh, the, uh, he had never paid off the, the financing. He had just made interest only payments. And then he, we bought, he bought it for 50 and we were buying it from him. I guess it was 99 or so, 2000 for 250. Wow. He had never paid off. He had just made the interest payments, cash flowed and made the interest payments. And then he was finally going to pay it off. So in his mind, he didn't see the debt as a thing to pay off because it was to him good debt. He just kept the debt. Well, to Andrew's point, as long as if you can control the property and, and stick it out for three to five years, I mean, that's where you make your money. Mm hmm yeah if you have yeah. no other options what do you do yeah yeah that was the first time it hit me i was like oh you really i guess don't have to to pay off the the debt um andrew when you're like w where does this go for you like i don't know if both of you guys have put into a spreadsheet the properties that you own right now and just assigned any sort of appreciation like historic appreciation from 1969 to like 2020 or whatever is like a roughly seven percent in this whole area a year that's average it's it, averages are a little bit shitty to work with and stuff but have you ever thrown what you own now in into a spreadsheet and applied an appreciation rate against it just to see 10 years from now where the portfolio in canadian dollars is going to sit or no you haven't done i that. have back in the day for fun okay but then you're like i did and it was years ago but then as you look forward okay it actually appreciated much more than i had even expected but look at the price of groceries yeah. Right. And this yeah. is kind of what I'm telling people, too, is at the very least, real estate's a hedge. Gold, silver, crypto, things like that are all hedge against. Rolexes. Rolexes, actually a good investment. Outperformed wow. the S&P 500. I feel like you're going to go into Rolex sales. It outperforms the S&P 500. So it's, it's as long as it's a good, solid you investment. You guys are both wearing Rolexes. Yeah. <laughs> so as long as it's a good, solid investment, um, it's going to hold. Now, the properties inflated faster than I expected. But I never would have thought we'd be paying what we are for eggs or lettuce. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, okay. So you don't think point? that's a fair? Is yeah, I can no calculate. Point. Oh, it's twenty million dollars at this when I'm this age. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. But then that's twenty million dollars. Now I'm going to go buy at that time a brand new Tesla that might cost. So you don't think real estate appreciates faster than the price of burgers or steak in the grocery store? Uh, well, it's interesting because it, it, it with leverage it, it does. looks like yeah with leverage it, it definitely does and my, I always joke with bacon I don't know if you remember this thing mm -hmm. but when I started buying properties bacon was like I forgot three, about this two fifty three bucks for a pack of bacon <laughs> yeah what is it now and now it's like seven eight bucks mm -hmm. but that same house that was two hundred and fifty to three hundred thousand is seven eight hundred thousand so bacon versus house. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. about the same. But to Paul's point, the leverage. You're leveraging real estate. You can't leverage bacon. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. I'm like trying bacon. to figure out a way to leverage bacon. I love bacon. <laughs> okay, so uh, the 92-year-old Andrew Palhitas, does he like what the 39-year-old is doing right now? What would the 92-year-old tell Andrew to do today that you're not doing? Man, it's tough, actually. When you asked Paul this, I was like, man, it's a good thing I didn't get asked this. And I started thinking, and I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, I know that when I've asked older people, mm. um, like my grandfather before he passed away and just older people when I ask them, they always regret things that they don't do mm. and they never regret doing things. So if you do something and you screw it up, then that won't be a regret later on from what I've heard. But if you don't do something, you'll, you'll regret not doing it. Mm -hmm. I think you I don't know. 
I was just going to say nobody regrets the 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 risk and and the the, the journey. It's it's the risk you didn't take that everyone mm-hmm. regrets. Yeah, you guys are unique. I think you could look at that question and have some difficulty with it because you guys both take risks and you do things. You're buying in Turks. You're partnering with this uh, cap, or you got a boat for your Turks. Like you're you're in Mexico for three months. Um, you guys are actually doing stuff. So I could see that. Is the 92 year old Andrew Palhitas happy with the way the 39 year old Andrew Palhitas is taking care of his health? I think so now. I, I mean, I started working out when I turned 39 because mm-hmm. I remember always joking. Yeah, you, you did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always joked that hey, you started working yeah, out. Because Mike at- called me fat. So the story is we took a video in the Burlington office. Mike looked at the video. Mike says he never said this because Mike's a, for anyone who knows Mike, Mike, everyone's like Mike's the nicest guy. Mike says he never said this. He 100% said this. And the reason it hit me so hard is because it was Mike. Because when he said it, I go, holy shit. He looked at the video. He goes, holy, you're fat. And I was I was struggling. I uh, had some health challenges. And then and Nick, I went to the hospital, my stomach, Nick dragged me into the, to the gym. The person gave me there a book on basically primal eating it was the primal blueprint, uh, primal, primal blueprint, blueprint. Yeah. I learned all about food. It totally changed my life. And then you always said, if Tom can go yeah. until he's 39 without going to the gym, I'm going to do it too. Tom starts it. There was two, there's two points. One was, um, one, one was actually, it's really, it's really funny, messed up stories. The things that, that will end up triggering with you. But I remember saying when I turned 39, I was thinking, man, I'm pretty much 40. Yeah, and I think I told because when you're one, yeah, you're in your fortieth year. You're you're in your fortieth year. Yeah, I've completed thirty nine, so I'm in my fortieth. So it's time to work out. Was number one. Number two was it was actually Paul and I. We were picking up. I don't know, jerk chicken or chicken wings in Turks and Caicos at some place. And this guy came in. I don't remember, but this guy was jacked. But he kind of had a gut, but he was just jacked. And then I was like, man, this guy's like a big dude, but he's got a fat gut. And Paul's like, yeah, man, you do enough push-ups, everybody looks ripped. And I was like, huh. So I've actually just been doing push-ups thinking that'll cover my gut, right? So if I just get my, my chest big enough, then I can still look jacked. <laughs> but looking back, I don't think that any... Well, how many push-ups are you doing? Uh, like yeah, 10, yeah, you can exaggerate. 10. 10. Yeah, 10. Oh, oh That's good, right? No. 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 Oh. <laughs> no. Ten's okay. I'm working on 11. Ten an hour? I'm working on... Ten an hour. I'm working on 11. <laughs> you have a beautiful but, home gym. Uh, yeah, I do. Yeah. So uh, I've been working out every day, though, um, five, six days a week. But I think looking back, if I, I wouldn't regret anything with work. Mm-hmm. I think, and I, and I try to make a conscious effort of this, and, and my wife says, my kids know they just play me because it's every night it's like, hey, can we do a book? Can we do a story? Can we do a song? And they just play me. And I, I hate saying no because I think that even though I say yes every time I can, with kids is never enough. Like as much as you give to a kid, they'll just they'll take and take and take and take. But I'm worried that when I'm older, I'll look back. Again, listening to people that were older, whose kids are grown yeah. up, they look back, oh, time flies. So while they're young, I'm trying to do as much with them as I can. Mm-hmm. As long as they want to keep doing things with me, I will. So I think it just why, suckers me at every night. That's why travel is so important. Yeah, travel is important, doing Same. that stuff. Um, and I talked to my cousin about this because when we were growing up, we didn't do much, but we went to Wonderland, I think once or twice. And we went together because then you just, when, when, whenever one family did one thing, it was like everybody would just pool and do the thing. So, and he was like, do you remember that time I went, we went to Wonderland? And I was like, yeah, I remember you sat on a piece of gum, you had gum on your butt. And he was like, <laughs> yeah, but basically he was like, see how we remember that one time in yeah. Wonderland? My kids are going to remember going away every winter, yeah. playing on the beach, doing this. And it'll just be like a thing that they remember growing up. Right. And, and they'll want to do that for their kids too. Hopefully. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
It's going to be interesting to see you guys over the next 10 years. It just really like with the foundation that you've built now, the network that you guys have built, the relationship you have with people. Now it's not just buying a, a property. It's a, you have land development experience. There's more things. You have Caribbean experience. To map out the next 10 years is just fascinating to me with you guys. Because like I wonder at one point if you just disappear, and I mean that in the best way possible, that you like hit like 50 and you're just like, okay, you know what? I've kind of put some cash away and I'm just going to take it easy for a whole bunch of years and you will have the financial means to do that. Or if you keep going, one thing about the business that we're all in together, it is very satisfying helping people. Mm-hmm. Like it is very sad. And I, and I, and I, I mentioned this to Carol all the time that I feel so grateful to be doing something where you're helping someone build their family's financial futures. There is a purpose and a satisfaction that comes from that, that I think is rewarding and can carry you through. And maybe you do it less or maybe you do it more. Who knows? You couldn't help other people unless you help yourself first. Agreed. You had to walk the path. Agreed. And I think that's why people in their 20s, like I remember when I was in my 20s, a lot of people wanted to be a life coach. I don't know if that's still a thing. And in my 20s. Have you when, been on Instagram? I'm not on Instagram. Okay. I'm not on Instagram. Don't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's still a big thing. Yeah. I don't really see it as much anymore. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's out there. Okay. So in 20s, everyone wanted to be a life coach. And I feel like that was like the easiest thing to do to try. Like you read a bunch of books and then you learn a bunch of things. And then you're like, oh my gosh, like you should invest in real estate and you should journal and you should get up early and take care of your health. And I know all this stuff now and I want to help other people. But until you've helped yourself get in shape financially, physically, mentally, to your point, Paul, you can't really help other people. You need to help yourself first. I, you're I call right. that authenticity. And I, I don't know, I, that's, I'm big on that. Like, you, you, like I can't go to the doctor and have him give me advice if he's sitting there hammering a cheeseburger with a with a six inch gut, mm-hmm. you know you have to walk your talk. If you're not walking your talk, I, I can't. Like, I, I can't take advice from you. When you meet with people for the first time, do you always wear three gold chains? Yes, you do. And what do people tell you yes. when you're wearing those gold chains? Uh-huh. What? <laughs> and what do you say? Uh-huh. Well, you must address it. No, I just make a joke. Yeah. <laughs> it's like my wife calls me Mr. T. <laughs> Cool. You know what? Actually, I want to add the authenticity thing. Uh, one thing I'll talk to investors a lot about too is is when you not to rip on anybody working in a bank, but when when you go to a bank branch and let's say like you're transferring money, there's money in the account. Oh, hey, my bank branch doesn't bother me anymore. But they're like, hey, Andrew, can we sit down? You want to talk to one of our financial advisors? And my argument is always like, but this guy works in a cubicle for a living, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, if he's such a good financial advisor, why isn't he on the Always beach? bothering me too. Right? So always. it's like, it's, I'm not, I don't want to knock the guy living, working in the cubicle. Mm-hmm. It's fine. But like, how are you going to give me advice to help me become more financially free if you're obviously not financially free because no one wants to be in the cubicle, mm-hmm. right? So if someone wants to be a life coach, I mean, they can't just read books. They better be living a good life that I want. The life coach one got you. Yeah. <laughs> it was just, it was funny because I've seen that as well, right? That's yeah. why my, my favorite clients are people who come from the financial industry, like paper yeah. stuff. Like they have stocks or they have a financial planner. And the conversation's so easy to dissect. It's the same recipe every time. It's like, okay, well, you did all this stuff and you got promised this and did you get it? Mm-hmm. And it's always no. Or it's some semblance of it, but they never got enough. Right. And the person who gave you that advice, are they living that life themselves? It's always no. No. It's funny how we sell the general population on a diversified portfolio of like stocks, maybe some bonds. 
and people think that's going to get them ahead. I've never met anyone who has made their fortune or made their financial freedom that has also given them time freedom freedom from a portfolio that looks like that. I've only seen people use that type of portfolio once they've made their money, which often required zero diversification business in in business, real estate, extreme focus, some leverage and then made money and then tried to protect their money with that type of portfolio. I've really never seen anyone get ahead with a type of portfolio that is kind of sold to the masses. And I don't know why people don't connect those dots. Sometimes it's frustrating. Because it's the, it's the easy way. You're, you're sold this thing and everyone else is doing it and it seems easy. And the traders are another one. I remember I, I talked to a, a trader and the guy had like eight screens behind him. I'm like, dude, you trade stocks or something? He's like, yeah. I'm like, how are you doing with that? He's like, well, I've been doing it for eight years and this and that. I, I'm like, you, you're up 14 hours a day, right? He's like, yep. He's like, only 3% of traders make money. And I'm like, how many people are banking on? We, me and him tried to make money trade. We've all been down that path. Yeah. I tried too. Yeah. I did options for like two years. I'm like, I, I can't this figure this out. Yeah. 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 The time that you cha- you have to exchange for that is just too much. For, I, for me anyway, I, I couldn't do it. At this point, if you're not paying a price for what you're getting, it's, 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 you're going to lose it. Like it's impossible. Mm-hmm. You can't have free, nothing free. I'm over it. Like no more. If it's when too good to when be you're true. young though, you don't know either. Like when you're young and you're messing with the stock, don't know. when somebody, if the only person you have access to is the guy in the cubicle telling you about financial totally. freedom, then you believe him. The guy next to me when I was in tech support, it was the tech bubble. And he's like, Tom, I'm going to buy in on this one millionaire.com. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, what is it? And he goes, it's the website where all millionaires are going to go to millionaire.com. And I'm like, that's brilliant. Yeah. I'm going to buy some too. <laughs> I didn't end up buying any, but I was totally sold. Like that explanation, because I was I just listening to the guy next to me, that made a a bunch of sense. And that was the level of my financial education. I'm like, yes, I will buy in. Now you look back on those days and just kind of like chuckle a little bit. It's kind of why real there is something about real estate to me that is, we always talk about it as real estate investing, but I look at like the properties that you've had, like the student rentals, the rental properties that you have. These to me are businesses. They're almost like little franchises more than they are investments. And I really think that's kind of the, it's, it's a business that also has a hard asset component to it. Like you're in the business of offering shelter. And in exchange for the shelter, you know, there's income coming in, there's expenses going out, but the shelter and nature of the business determines that you need a hard asset component. You need this house and this house benefits from the crazy central banking policies that will force the asset price higher as the value of the dollars get worth less and less every year. So I I really look at it as this like magical little business more than investing in real estate. And and, and if you grow within it, it forces you to to, to learn. You, You can't. Yeah. You can't do it without learning. Possible. Who, who do you guys like? So if someone's listening to this and, and wants to work with you guys, are you helping people with Airbnbs in Toronto as well? I know you have Caribbean Airbnb experience now and you could help people in that whole area. Are you helping people with Airbnbs? Because you have Airbnb experience here now too. Or no, is that not well, something you're doing right now? I mean, I, I'll, I'll let you answer, Andrew, but like Airbnb, the city of Toronto is, you know, kind of clamped down. And there's so many bylaws now with Airbnb. Like it's not easy anymore the barrier of entry is really high so it's often doesn't make sense so your favorite thing to work with people now is multi like duplexes and higher it's it's yeah multifamily, even some pre-construction where it makes sense and and yeah that's that's where it is and i mean if you can if you have the capital to do it commercial right 
and uh, development stuff for sure. Because of your experience, have you seen, we've been talking to more and more people going into Toronto and building little infill projects, like up to 10 units on two lots. Do you see yourself doing anything like that? We just finished, well, we didn't build 10 units, but we just finished one in uh, in Niagara. We knocked down a house. This is you guys together? St. Catharines, yeah. yeah. St. Catharines, okay. Yeah, we, we, we built a semi-detached property and it each semi has its own basement suite. Oh, so nice. two on each. Okay. And that's, four, that's four. as much as the zone. So four about. units. So you turned a single family into essentially four units. Yeah. 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 So it went from a piece of crap house to a f- basically two duplexes attached because technically that's what it is. And it's producing $8,000 a month in rent. Are you guys keeping that property or is that something you're going to sell? Yeah, we kept it, refinanced it, Desjardins. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. And is that, so is that an opportunity you think exists here in this area for a, a little while now? Cause no big builders are going to go do that. So these little pockets, it's a middle market. Mm-hmm. It's a middle market for people yeah. like us. Yeah. Smaller developers who are going to step in and, and build that kind of stuff out. Yeah. Yeah. It's very cash heavy though, too. Like you got to be the right investor for it. I okay. Feel like I feel like because you're you, buying the property, knocking it down, you're you're buying, finance the construction. Sometimes you're buying the thing, the property, like in this case, cash, mm-hmm. you buy the property in cash, then you're financing a lot. Then it's like banks are delayed. And then with draws and this and that labor construction, material delayed. costs going through the roof. And, and with over the last couple of years, the materials have gone up. It's crazy. So it's a very cash heavy, like it's capital intensive. It's very capital intensive. If I was a brand new investor sitting here listening to this, you I, wouldn't do it. No, I think that that's the sexy part that everybody was like, yeah, yeah, that's what I want to do. Buy one, build four. That makes a work up sense. But it's like buy one, turn it into four. Isn't it's not like that. Mm-hmm. Right. So the real I think the bread and butter is just the single family duplex triplex that like boring stuff what do you do buy a duplex then what rent it out then what nothing nothing, <laughs> nothing. sorry yeah, yeah. show's over game's over end the podcast and it's almost like there's nothing to talk about but those boring properties I just I think are just so good that was the foundation of our entire that portfolio. was the foundation of everything right just buy and hold yeah but, rent it out hold uh, th- refinance th- when you can just uh, th- those infill ones they, they start to make sense because the way prices have moved and the way inflation's moved the way construction costs have moved let's say you were going to do a duplex conversion which has was popular it's still popular but let's say you're gonna to go to Hamilton and buy a bungalow on the mountain, Hamilton Mountain, or Kitchener. What are you gonna pay for that? 800 grand? Yeah. Realistically? Okay, so that's 160,000 down payment plus closing costs. What's it gonna to cost to renovate the property? You just did it. 200,000? Yeah, yeah, actually. Okay, so you're in for $400,000. So if I can buy a crappy house in a neighborhood that has a bigger lot for 400 grand and just buy it out of cash and build four units, why wouldn't I do that? Mm. Why wouldn't I do that? Right, it doesn't. That formula doesn't always work. But if you have that kind of capital and you're in the sure. market, yeah. why not look there? So, someone to get started, uh, I guess, to Andrew's point, you could find a lot. So, you guys are are checking to see if you could rezone the property and do this yeah. before purchase. So, you could help somebody find one of these properties just as a single family home rental. That in the future they could do something like this, and they could just hold that property for I don't know yeah. ten years and that, then do something like that. Absolutely, yeah, yeah you could. Yeah, and, but I think yeah, if you're starting out, definitely the duplex, the triplex raise the rents, you know, recycle tenants. Do you still like student rentals? I, I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I like to, I like to make sure they're two units though, two legal units. That, yeah. Yeah. So you can separate it out. Why, why do you like that? Because it, it, it's insurance. If McMaster comes out tomorrow and starts licensing, which could happen. Yeah. And four rooms per unit. Now what? Got You're it. Screwed. But if I have a duplex, 
Whatever. So the primary thing for that you're looking for is two separate entrances. Could the house be connected right now and that's okay with you because of zoning? Even if it's not a legal duplex right now, as long as you I can the ability. It, yeah, which is very easy at this point. Uh, yeah, I, I'm sorry. As long as the house is functional enough to convert, it can be converted. Mm -hmm. There's very little that can't be converted now. You know, if it's a, a sh uh, you know a shoebox of a house and you can't do it, you can't do it, right? But uh, yeah, that's for me. You have to do that with student rental. Well, uh, if someone wanted to find either of you two, uh, can you want to share an email or a website or what do you guys want to share? Just Andrew, what do you want to share? Email works. Email's, yeah, well, email's easy. Who okay. Do you guys want to share one each? Mine's or something? Andrew at Rockstar Brokerage and. This is Paul at Rockstar Brokerage. Yeah, Paul at rockstarbrokerage.com. You can email us. We'll, we'll talk to you. You'll talk to people? Yeah. Paul, you are nice. Uh, you're yeah. nice. We, when is the next vacation for both of you? Because you guys have now been in the country for uh, a bit too long. It's been like six weeks. May. And you, May. May. Is it May? Yeah. Turks? Yeah. Turks both of you guys? Miami. Turks and then Miami. Why Miami? Bitcoin conference. Oh, you're going to the Bitcoin conference. I can't go to it this year. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Lame. I know. Or no. I wanted to go to the Pacific Bitcoin conference. Did you see that one? No, I didn't it was fourteen hundred people out in LA. Swan, I don't I don't want to go to LA, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not a fan of LA. Miami Miami is really booming right now, right? Miami I'm not a, a fan of California in general. So. No. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A lot of Canadians taking equity that they build here and buying properties in Florida. Oh, that's another podcast. That is another podcast. We'll have more and more Florida podcasts in the future. Yeah. Guys, I appreciate this, man. Thank yeah, you. Cool. No problem. Until we meet again. <laughs> and remember, 92-year-old Paul DeBruzzo, 92-year-old Andrew Palhitas is Let talking ask to you guys. You, Tom, what, would, mm -hmm. what about 92-year-old Tom? Yeah, yeah I, I struggle with that now. 10 years ago. That's a good question. Yeah, yeah. Hey, yeah. I I, 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 uh, when I'm faced with a decision which I don't know what to make, so like, Paul, uh, your firefighting decision, I often use that frame. Like, what would the 92-year-old Tom tell me to do right now? Um, and right now, I don't know, knock on wood, things are going pretty good. So I don't like, I'm not facing a decision. I think I'm at the point in my life where I'm trying to figure out exactly what I do for the next 10 years. You gotta buy some properties in other countries. Yeah, 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 it might be that. It might be that. I if got a friend. I think 92 year old Paul would tell 50 year old Tom. That. <laughs> like, bro, what are you I waiting for? A, <laughs> I, do, I do have a friend in Croatia who has some lots that he's, he, he wants me to partner and, and, and build out there. Um, yeah. Caribbean. Yeah. Yeah, Diversifying yeah. country. I just feel at home in Europe. I don't know what it is, man. Both. I go, All. I go there. Yeah. yeah. I think, uh, yeah. The Caribbean, I just don't have any roots yet. I'm looking in Florida a little bit more than the Caribbean right now. Mm-hmm. But maybe it's more out of Canada. I'm not sure. It's tough. It's tough. I, it's weird. Like you kind of always plan for a point of creating enough financial freedom in your life. But then maybe I'm not saying I don't know if I'm there or not there. But I guess things are going pretty good. Well, I, I feel like I feel like I always need to knock on wood to say that that when you kind of achieve some, you need to kind of figure out like okay, what are we doing now? The the way I make it easy is like I'll, I'll go the extra mile and you know make sure it's rentable. Not because I want to rent it and I want the extra work and I know it's headaches and bullshit, mm -hmm. but it, it it keeps it safe for me. Like if I can buy another property totally. here in St. Catharines or Hamilton, totally. I'm gonna make a cash flow, right? Yeah, why wouldn't yeah, I? Yeah. So if I'm gonna buy a property there, why wouldn't I do that? It's yeah. easy, I'll leave it for five years. Totally. Yeah, but it's yeah. there, mm -hmm. and it's, now it's in my pocket, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? We When we bought Turks and Caicos, we, didn't, we had a straight renter there for Two years. I think two years. The first two years, we were still scared. You didn't use it. No, we were yeah. still scared. We didn't know what to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but you did it, and now you look back well, and you love it. And you bought another one. It was eight years ago we bought the first one. Yeah, that's and right. Last, not this winter that just passed. The one before was the first winter I went down there. Oh the, wow! This one that just passed was actually yeah. the second winter. 
Mm-hmm. So you guys are strangely long-term thinkers. That's a rare that you guys are both long-term thinkers. Like we had that. no choice. Mm-hmm. You had to make it work. You put yourself in a situation. But doing it early, and when we did, was like the top ten best financial decisions ever. Yeah. Yeah, and you're hitting on something. I think uh, you said it earlier. It's just that like the thing that I just take the most satisfaction from now is just family experiences together. Like Aiden's turning 21. I was telling uh, Todd O'Donnell was here. I told him that, you know, we bought that property in Croatia in 2009. He's like, 2009? I thought it was like five or six years ago. I'm like, no, like my daughter who's 17 has been to Europe every year since she was four. And uh, I think that's somehow one of the best things we ever did was buying that. That, that property cost us four um, Hamilton Mountain rental properties, four. Four but was in two thousand, hundred percent worth it. Hundred percent worth it. So if you buy, but I remember at the time it was kind of like a big decision because we had to buy cash, just like you guys are saying, and uh, yeah, it was one hundred percent worth. Like the if, memories there. If you buy a place in Florida now and even have it rented in neutral cash flow, mm-hmm. whatever, by the time Aiden's twenty five and he's ready to crush it in business, I mean, he's got a place in Florida. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Florida's on it. Florida's going to happen. We're just kind of looking around. You know what? It's not even like you, you inspire your children. And you give the memory with your children, but then your parents as well. Yes. And I know even going to Mexico, just even renting in Mexico and spending winters down there. My parents came for like a week and then two weeks and then like three, four weeks. And then like this past winter, we were in Turks and Caicos. They came for the two and a half months or whatever. Right? No way. I don't it, think for the I knew full that. time. Yeah. So oh. and it's it's just interesting because it's like, well, why not? And even they're like, well, I don't know. I don't know. And I'm like, no, just come on down for the whole time. And they're retired too. And they're retired anyways. I'm like, what are you going to do in Canada? Like you go swimming at the rec. It's so funny. I think once you have those experiences, you go swimming at the rec. That's what they do. true. No, but it's a hundred. And I think it's, it's, I think it's more and more time out of Canada's making me realize, and maybe this is just a stage. The whole world out there. Yeah. That we don't really live in Canada. It's a work camp. It's, it's a work camp. And, uh. You know, I know some people will hate hearing that, but uh, we don't really live. Like when I see my cousins there, they meet with their friends for espresso every day. They don't have to call them and set up a, like a, a time a week from now to get together for lunch or an espresso. Like Nonsense. it just happens every morning. Yeah. You know, one of my cousins there drives a bus and he meets his friend, uh, his friends that are where the bus leaves from every morning. They have coffees after his first route. Then he comes back home and then he plays like, I think bocce ball or whatever. And they have coffees, you know, playing cards and stuff. And they're just kind of like hanging out and living. And I think it's healthy. Whereas here, we just don't get that. You know, the urban lifestyle, the suburban lifestyle, you're kind of secluded. Well, people come here for the opportunity, but then they forget about everything else. Yeah. Yeah, and you forget to detach. You forget the reasons that maybe your your family came here was to get ahead a little bit, but then you're so removed because you're multi-generation removed now, you forget what living is. You forget what good food is and mm-hmm. outside and the Laughing outdoors. And you were talking about Europe. And I remember being in Croatia and there was a sandwich shop near the Airbnb we were staying at and I went to get a sandwich. Pull the mic. I went to get a sandwich at like 1230. And then the little guy selling newspapers beside the sandwich. No, he's closed. And I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, he closes from like 12 to 2. <laughs> and he's a sandwich And guy. I'm like, you, you realize this guy sells food. <laughs> he just doesn't care. Like, that's yeah, the yeah. time everybody eats yeah. is 12 to 2. Yeah. And like, he's like, nah, you can buy a newspaper. Yeah. And I was just like, man, this is crazy. Yeah, it's so different. I just love it. Yeah, last year when we were coming back, we, we, we stopped in Paris for a little while and just going through the streets of Paris there and, and the, the cafes. This year, we're gonna to go to Italy. Carol has, still has family in Florence. We're gonna go see our family nice. in Florence. It's just really, it's really nice. Yeah, it's confusing. Canada's a confusing place. 
it does have a lot of opportunity. It's given us a lot. Mm-hmm. I thank my parents for, you know, they took, made a lot of sacrifices to get us here. And now we're trying to get out. <laughs> I'm joking. I don't know what we're trying to... <laughs> hey, you got us in. Nella, get us out. Yeah. Help us Your get money out. lives here, but you, you don't... Yeah, correct. Correct. Yeah, I, I, the reason I'm looking at Florida is I just want that triangle. I want Croatia, Florida. The reason I was choosing Florida over a Caribbean after looking at the Caribbean a bit, I just wanted a place I could possibly drive to. That's all. Mm. That's the reason I was leaning to Florida a little bit. It's not the Caribbean. You just need a boat. Now that you guys have a boat, you can kind of take me <laughs> back and plane. Just get your own plane. plane. <laughs> Thanks, guys. I appreciate this. Rockstar Thank you. plane. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for this, guys. All right. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Hopefully you enjoyed that chat with Paul and Andrew. You can uh, reach out to both of them via email at paul at rockstarbrokerage.com. So that's paul at rockstarbrokerage.com or andrew at andrew at rockstarbrokerage.com. That's it for this episode. Until next time, your life, your terms.